Hello, and welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. Hello, and welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. We at Mirror Stage are a multidisciplinary arts company working in the Pacific Northwest. Here at Mirror Stage, we use the power of storytelling to challenge assumptions, bias and prejudice, increasing equity and inclusion, while encouraging more thoughtful reflection on today's issues. So, for those of you who've been listening, you know that we're gearing up to present Expand Upon Healthcare. Performances will be held October 21st and 22nd at 18th and Union Art Space. There will also be live stream times available so you can enjoy the show in the comfort of your own home. Tickets are available now at mirrorstage.org tickets. The Expand Upon series, launched in 2017, is where the community selects a theme and Mirror Stage commissions two local playwrights to each develop a 30- to 60-minute play using the same multi-generational, multiracial cast. That cast who we'll be meeting today includes Amontane Aurore, Drew Hobson, Cien Mendez, Hannah Saito, and Maddie Synthendone. The two plays are presented in tandem as Simply Stage readings with a moderated discussion following every performance. So, without further ado, here's our interview with the cast of Expand Upon Healthcare. Hello, my name's Ty. My pronouns are he, him. And I want you guys to introduce yourself with your names and pronouns. Hi, I'm Matty Seathendon. I use he, him pronouns. I'm Amontane Aurore. I'm she, her. I'm Hannah Saito. I use she, her. I'm Drew Hobson. I use he, him. I'm Sian Mendez. I use they, them pronouns. And I am going to be the other podcaster tonight, and I'm Angie Bolton. I do she, her. Mirror stage board member and actor. All right. Awesome. So thank you all for introducing yourselves, um, and thank you for joining us today. Really excited to uh, get into more about expand upon and your role in it. Uh, so tell me, what does storytelling mean to you? Well, storytelling is at the center of acting in theater, of course. Wouldn't be able to have any of this without storytelling. I think the question I related as to, because I see, see it through the lens of acting in theater, that storytelling is basically how we learn, how we keep our lineage and our history alive, and as far as as far as theater goes, the saying that I like to use and the, that I like to teach as well too is that theater is the mirror that society holds up to itself to be able to correct itself or redirect itself. Um, mirror stage, funny, <laughs> but basically, yeah, that's that's a big part of what storytelling means to me. Storytelling, I've always loved reading. Even as a child, I devoured a lot of books. So telling stories is like at the base of my art form. So I am an actor as well as a writer. And I was actually just talking to somebody the other day about what I'm trying to accomplish or part of what I want to accomplish with my writing. And it could be related to acting as well. It boils down to understanding. So for me, getting into a character, creating a world, 
investigating characters that are people that are different than I am, who have a different worldview than I do, uh, because I, I do write uh, a lot of those characters and I also have portrayed those characters on stage. But for me, like getting to creating layered characters, part of what is fun about it for me is that I get to uh, understand the character. And if it's somebody that's diff very different from me, then I get to investigate why they feel the way that they do, how their, their mindset was shaped and formed. And I feel that that sense of coming to an understanding is a gift that I can give to myself in, in, in terms of knowledge. And it's also a gift that I can give to the world or my community uh, as, an, as an artist. I'll go next. As a human, it's hard for me to sit still in whatever things I'm going through. I like to be outside. I like to engage. I like to try new things and kind of run away from whatever my normal day-to-day -day life is. Storytelling is a way for me to do that in a different, not physical way of running away. When I am in a show or doing any kind of performance, I get to step out of my I'll call it my nine to five self and leave everything out the door and only focus on the world that has been built for me or the like three minute world I built for myself. It is really cathartic, I think, to uh, be able to put on someone else's shoes for a certain amount of time. And then remember, you have yours in your little cubby uh, tucked away nice and neat. To me, storytelling is about the connection between people. and establishing empathy in a way and exploring um other people's point of view um because we really only live in our own heads right and storytelling is a way of exploring the ways that other people see the world and maybe other people that come from different backgrounds or have different cultures than you um and it's a way of, of finding those key things that make us human and the key things that it's like okay well this is where I'm coming from and that's where you're coming from. And we have different backgrounds and maybe different stories, but the key things that are central to both of our stories mean that there's a similarity there and an empathy there that can be found um, in stories. Yeah. I'll bite. Um, having some Wi-Fi problems. If I sound like a robot at any point, sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big nonfiction consumer personally. I'm really into, um, facts. I don't know. I'm not always a fiction reader when it comes to books. So I think that um, theater and um, I work in mental health as well. And hearing, hearing people's personal stories, not always like framed through the form of theater. I think I see a lot of similarities though, through both of both theater and mental health counseling um, of it boils down a larger universal truth or struggle or systemic barrier to somebody's real lived experience. And I think storytelling is an opportunity to, yeah, like really personalize the universal in a way that people like me who might be very um, rooted in nonfiction worlds, I think offering yourself an opportunity to absorb information through like a single person's explanation of that same information, but filtered through their personality and their lived experience and their relationships and all of these things, I think brings humanity back and makes my heart 
twinkle in a way that my brain gets to light up again. And yeah, it's exciting. Nice. Thank you all. I love that. Like you all said such different things, but at the root of it, it's like storytelling is about trying to connect with someone else and understand someone else's story, you know, about it. I love uh, uh, your quote you said, Drew, about theater being the mirror that society holds up to itself. Because like, that's, I mean, I for, you know, mirror stage, it's a little on the nose, but that's what we aim to do at mirror stage is take those uh, real life topics that are sometimes hard to talk about. Um, and sometimes people may seem problematic even, but we try to frame it in a way that people can receive it and think about it and do some self-reflection like, oh, am I like this character who wasn't, you know, the nicest character in this? Like we kind of think the same way. Um, and it does allow you to kind of like step out and put yourself in someone else's shoes for a bit and live in this like manufactured world. And, and even though it's, you know, it's not, it's not real, so to say it, all of the characters have real elements to them that we can see uh, in human beings and find some empathy and uh, connect to those uh, larger universal truths. So furthering that idea, what is a story that's had an impact on you? Well, I can tell you from this morning today that really gave me hope was hearing that the 150-year-old banyan tree is putting out green leaves. So the one in Lahaina, it was like hope and some, they, there are fewer people missing than they thought. But having the photographer zone in on those green leaves on that tree was such, it made my day. I, it gave me hope. So what are some wonderful stories that have impacted each of you? It's not really a wonderful story, but it inspired a creative uh, new art opportunity for me by the end of it. There was a queer person uh, back in 2020 named Summer Taylor that was marching uh, for the Black Lives Matter protests in Seattle, and they got murdered by a vehicle during that protest. I believe it was on the freeway somewhere somewhere in Seattle. Horrible thing that happened. This was a queer person that was the same exact age as me, um, probably hung out in the same exact spaces that I did. And uh, it really shook me a little bit to see someone so close to my like kind of lived experience in my world in like the age range have their life taken away like that. And uh, a couple months after that happened, uh, actually CN, amazing CN reached out to me about an opportunity with Washington Ensemble Theater. And uh, it was called Vote Art Vote. And uh, the piece that I made for that show uh, and that story, uh, they kind of were hand in hand for me and uh, kind of put some... uh, more depth to just a a little burlesque piece that I was doing. It gave me some more context. And uh, as a emerging queer artist, I just want to continue to use my experience, my body, my art to just keep the queer agenda strong. That's uh, that's the goal. A recent story that had a lot of impact on me also, um, Hearing about uh, writing stories ourselves is another another thing too. A few months ago, I finished up 
I kind of, I had been kind of absent from the stage for a while, uh, not just due to the pandemic. I do touring children's theater, but I have it because I DJ, I really get chances to do uh, evening theater. But I just uh, finished a show with Sound Theater Company, and it was at 12th Avenue Arts. It was called The Cost of Living. It was about uh, two people who uh, were wheelchair bound and their caregivers. I played the husband of of my partner and a scene partner and then uh, the other one was a hired caregiver and part of the story was uh the the character that i was playing was grieving the death of his wife even though you don't really you you, you get that she dies you don't really know how she dies and you don't really find out until the very end um but uh i i went through a lot of trauma during the the pandemic and so it was really cathartic for me to play that role and that is one of the amazing thing, things about theater is that we get to um sometimes actually step into these characters that we can really really relate to sometimes they're they're the first furthest thing from our character and we really have to do a lot of reaching to try to find the commonalities and really dig and use our empathy and really dig into that character. But for, it didn't take much to step into this character and, and playing him and seeing his process of grief and loss, you know, was, like I said, was really cathartic for me. And it was actually really helpful. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it because it was very close to home, but, um, but it was actually very, very healthy for me. And um, also I was able to, uh bond with some amazing people in my cast as well too another side to it is is i i i am a writer as well too and i kind of rather than uh go off of a true story uh i'm kind of diving in i wrote a pilot for a television series and it kind of dives into uh my history and my lineage lineage but in a more fantastical kind of way i'm uh, mixed black and native and that's uh something that's never talked about that I've never seen in pop culture really talked about. Um, and so I kind of came up with a storyline of just kind of diving into that. And, and that's the cool thing is sometimes we get to, um, you know, take our own stories, but make them bring magic and, and get to play with them and mold them a little bit. And, and when we get to be the storytellers, we get to have even more fun sometimes. I'll point to a novel. Uh, that I read when I was probably about 18 or 19 called The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And that book made me want to be a writer, made me believe that I could be a writer. And what impacted me so much about that story was that she took something. So basically the story is uh, about a little black girl who wants to have blue eyes and believes that by having blue eyes, she will achieve beauty and she will be happy and everything will be great. And because she cannot achieve this, she ends up, her mind splits. And I think it was like the first time that I read something that I immediately saw how the, 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 the political and social can become personal by taking a very intimate story like that, a very particular story. And it's something that, you know, it reflects out on the society and the messages that we deal with uh, 
from the time that we're born, who's worthy and who's unworthy and what bodies are beautiful and what bodies are not beautiful. And uh, that the, the fact that it was, you know, this, this very um, intimate story and you can just immediately relate to it. And, you know, we have these, a lot of times we have these nebulous conversations <laughs> about what's happening in the world and what we should do about it. But sometimes you get something like that, like a piece of art that just drives it home to you in, in a very personal way. So that was, um, that was a, a turning point for me was that, that book. Talking about stories that have really be become very important to us and the way that we live our lives. I, um, I'm a big Broadway fan and the show Town is, uh, is my absolute favorite thing. And I, there's, there's this message in the story about it's, a, it's essentially a retelling of, of the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. And there's a message about why we tell tragedies um, and about how, to retell a story that we know is going to end sadly be, uh, for the very reason that you hope it's going to end differently. And the fact that we find connection in those moments and that we do it collectively is, has become a very important idea to me. And the idea that those, that telling those stories, um, even when they're hard and even when it, it's, very, it's a very vulnerable thing to do, um, is actually sort of the bravest thing that you can do in the name of celebrating this this like chance at life that we've been given. So, Hades Town for me. Um, I just could not pick something because I think every single story I've ever heard has had such an impact on me, and I find myself just like returning to and thinking about little plays that I've seen and every musical that I've ever seen and every book that I've ever read all the time. But um, one thing um, that I was thinking about, we read this book in college, my undergraduate program um, called El Otro Lado by Julia Alvarez. It was about um, immigrated to the United States, um, you know, for the American dream, which does not exist. Um, and her experience of being split between two cultures and feeling in America, feeling like she was not America enough. And, in I don't remember which country of origin um, they had, but like feeling in their original culture, not feeling like they fit into that culture either. Um, and I'm mixed half American culture, half Puerto Rican culture. And it just really, really rung true. And I think about it truly all the time, just this concept of having a, an idea of what one form of a binary might be, but that binary does not exist and you actually exist in the middle, um, I think is a very queer concept and at the same time, a very mixed culture concept that was articulated so beautifully in that book. Thank you all for sharing your stories. And uh, they, <clears throat> they were all, they all touched me in different ways you know i haven't heard of hades town but it sounds like a really interesting story Anna. and then uh tony morrison is an incredible author um but that story and just like what bipoc people have to go through and have historically had to go through to try to fit in um when you know we shouldn't really want to fit in or you know but it's just 
so many things that the world made like, hey, this is how you should look and this is how you should be. Like growing up now, we see like so many people with tattoos, but like my mom was always like, you can't get a tattoo on your arm or like you will never be able to get a job or like you have to tie your hair back and look clean and pristine all the time and you won't be able to be hireable. And it's just incredibly frustrating to have to live like to have to live and see the box that you that you think society wants you to be in but knowing that you don't want to be in that box and trying to figure out okay how can I still have a great happy successful life outside of that box uh so it's, it's definitely uh something that I've I've thought about a lot with um lately from 2020 and as race relations have uh continued to not be great in this country for sure um so yeah thank you all for for sharing your stories so i want to know you know those were the stories that had impacts on you now i want to get a little bit more personal and ask what is your origin story i can go because i probably have one fresher in mind because i start my one of my classes off with it so i guess my origin story in a way would be when and this is the story that I tell is I went to see when I was seven years old, I went to see a movie in the theater called the Goonies. And to me, it was the perfect cinematic experience. It had humor, it had action it had romance. It was just, it just felt absolutely perfect. And, and some of those actors I went on to idolize for a very long time. And as I was leaving, I had this just, satisfied feeling in my chest and in my stomach it was just like that was just perfect and i was just i was hooked so from then on i started taking acting classes did acting in school high school went and got my ba at western and and so that was like the origin like it was just that was it i knew in one way or another that theater and acting always had to be part of my life and i was lucky to know that from very earlier on in a lot of ways so so yeah i think that's where i got my superpowers from uh this is this is kind of also an answer to uh the question from before but when i was in grade school i stumbled on to a series of books uh, by uh tamra pierce and they were all about well, the first the first series was about a little girl who was with a twin brother who was being sent off to a convent to learn how to become a lady. And she didn't want to be a lady. She wanted to be a knight. And girls couldn't be knights in this universe. So she disguised herself as a boy and went off and became a knight. And I loved these books as a kid. And at some point I realized that, you know, years down the line is that those books had made me feel like anything was possible. And like, I could, like I could do anything if I just worked at it hard enough. And I knew it was, I knew it was important enough to work at. And it was sort of this idea that like, if that, if, if stumbling upon this book in a library could make me feel like that, and I want I want to make everyone feel like that at some point in their life. And I think everyone has has a story like that or has something that they found that was like, oh, oh, I can I can do that. And I didn't realize I could do that before, but because I saw someone else do it, 
like now I have a greater understanding of what someone like me can do in the world. So that's sort of my origin story. I have a similar story too. Like we all have this story of seeing, um, absorbing a story and changed by what it can feel like to absorb a story. Um, it was Cats the Musical. <laughs> um, I was completely mesmerized by Cats the Musical growing up. I have just like some VHS tape of the 80s West End performance of Cats. And I watched it so many times, hundreds of times. It's the only thing that I would watch. The only way that you could calm me down was to put Cats on. Um, and I think in a way that was my origin story. But it really, the story part came when I was in a middle school horrible, bad, bad, bad production of Cats the Musical as a middle schooler and um, getting to have the the real makeup artists, though, come in and do our our cats makeup. And I played Skimble Shanks, the railway cat. And I think um, it really, it really, really struck something in me. And I have never been normal since then. <laughs> so I would say that this one was kind of hard for me because I feel like I've told my story a lot and kind of get t- tired of telling the same story. But I will just say that I grew up in an all white area and at a time when people were not so subtle about the racism. So um, I guess I had a choice at that point as to how I was going to react to that. And I chose to be rebellious and I chose to like try to teach people and to put stuff in people's faces to to make them try to confront themselves. And so I think through, through doing that, my personality sort of became someone who felt like she had something to say that needed to be said. And so I think as a, as an artist, as a writer and a, and a, a thea- theatrical artist, I was drawn to expression and being able to put my voice out there because I felt like at an early age, I didn't have a voice. So I think that that shaped the way that I approach the things that I write about, as well as just the, the compulsion to constantly put my work out there, constantly have a voice and to express a perspective that maybe other people are not used to hearing. Rent the Musical, School Edition, Driftwood Theater 2010. That's uh, my first kind of time as a young, 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 young queer human that I found a path that looked interesting, exciting, and I played Angel in that musical, a drag role, a beautiful artist, uh, bohemian type character. And uh, that gave me my first like pair of queer shoes. Let's just say that. And it was just so fun to experience that uh, for the very first time. Because prior to that, I, as a kid, I got into a lot of... uh, not so great things at a younger age and like kind of uh, softened out as I aged. Um, so I, I didn't know where to go, who I was. I was hanging out with not the greatest people. Um, but until I found Rent School Edition uh, through a summer camp at the Driftwood Theater in Edmonds, until I found that program, I just, I didn't know. That program led me to uh, pursue theater in high school, which got me to college. And uh, once I was in college, I was like, well, I don't 
I don't live in a city where I can do acting full time, but arts admin is really something that you can pursue. Uh, and now I work at Seattle Rep, pretty awesome theater, managing uh, not the story on stage, but the experience and the physical like story that people have after they see the play and before they see the play. Um, and that's equally important. Those are all great stories. <laughs> I feel like this next question, you almost answered it in this previous section, which is what inspires you? You've all spoken about inspiring stories already, but if, is there something else you want to add that inspires you? I have one. Um, youth period. The youth inspire me so much. I got to tour with Taproot Theater Company on their road company, uh, road company through schools across Washington uh, for about three months and just hearing kids react to stories, um, really see themselves in those stories are beautiful. And then to have capacities of like being a teacher or like being a leader in like a youth uh, setting uh, and giving back to those youth and giving them hopefully the emotional um, tools they need to succeed in the future. Um, I'll, I'll have to agree with Maddie uh, on that one as well, too. Uh, uh, youth absolutely inspires me, especially as a teacher as well, too. And primarily, I've taught theater for over 20 years or so and worked with various companies and uh, primarily on my students, African-American or Native American, and seeing a lot of similar stories as to what everybody's talking about and being able to see some of my students in that light switch on of just like, oh, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, and sometimes even if they weren't even sure, and then while we're in the class, they figure out something or they find something that really just kind of lights that fire. And they're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is for me. That's, that's truly, truly inspiring, you know, and that's something that I always hold with me. Um, I also get inspired by, well, we have a foster son who's a year and a half. So I get inspired by him as well too and as well as my wife she works a lot in the local native american community and we've been um a part of a canoe family for over a decade and just seeing uh being being around our local culture and um my culture is from the east coast but local native culture and that and and that the story and the plight of native american people is something that is finally starting to come into into the spotlight and seeing other Native American artists really come out and, and get, start to get their stories out there and really start to break ground is is hugely inspiring for me. Um, and it's, I mean, thinking that it's 2023 and we're just barely scratching the surface, um, you know, seeing seeing other and seeing any other culture that hasn't had a time in the spotlight for me, that's another. That's one of the and one of my big plights too is is hearing other people who are of uh, mixed cultural heritage and ethnic heritage and that's another thing that is just barely having its time or be even beginning its time in the spotlight and so hearing other people's stories descendancies uh family stories and stuff like that and and the new kind of perspective that they bring in um uh, I, I believe that the that basically intersectionality is one is one of the new biggest forefronts of entertainment and storytelling. And when I hear other people 
even even I'm not saying when you talked about you know growing up in a primarily white neighborhood, you know that kind of thing. That's these are still stories that need to be told, and we still haven't seen enough of. And so for me, hearing those kind of stories that that really inspires me and pushes me to try to tell my own and and get my own ideas out there as well. I would say for me personally, right now in this moment, what is inspiring me is collaboration and having the opportunity to collaborate with others and to expand on what I do, to be able to decide what things I want to explore. Yeah, I guess it's just like a sense of exploration right now with my art and bringing in new avenues, like considering multimedia and things like that. And um, that that's just really exciting to me right now, the, poss- the possibilities and the opportunities. I am very inspired by all the wonders of the world. Um, every natural, tiny wonder that happens in a day is very inspiring to me. I think just the way that light in this period of time hits my little prism thing that I have in a window and I'm able to see rainbows in my house again, that inspires me. But I think um, like the root of that awe is being able to experience it. And when I find myself in moments where we're able to take off our capitalism coats for a second and lay down in the sun together and make art together. I think that's the most inspiring thing to me. Um, and a lot of times that looks like work. It can be, it can be effort to organize time where people are able to exist in a room together. I think um, mutual aid inspires me a lot. Um, I was able to go over to um, some farm working communities in Eastern Washington. Um, And we just made art together and just being able to be in a community of people that are told that they need to continue working all the time, even more than we do here in hurry, hurry land in Seattle. Like they're told to work all the time, being able to find a moment where we can just sit in a park together and comment on the way that light moves through a tree, I think is really inspiring. Yeah, I would say the the perseverance and the passion of other people is always something I'm amazed by, sort of in two different directions for me right now. One is I, I just recently graduated college, and myself and all of my friends are uh, very lost as to what the rest of our lives is are going to look like. And watching everyone sort of collectively be like, so I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of passion and I'm just going to keep going sort of collectively and also individually makes it really easy not to sort of feel the despair of being the only one who doesn't know what they're doing, which is great. Um, On a broader scale, watching everything that's going down on the picket lines right now with all the like SAG and WGA stuff is just really watching people fight for their passion despite just immense odds um, is very, very hope-giving sort of as I'm graduating into some sort of industry that will look some sort of way depending on really what happens on those picket lines, right? So it's, it's, it's inspiring to see the, the generation before me 
really sort of looking after the industry for both themselves, their peers, and also the people that come after. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. So I would like to know, as an actor, how do you approach a role? I think um biggest thing for me is like not thinking about it too much um, and just finding common humanity, which isn't like an active search. I don't need to search to find the common humanity. I think it's more just stepping into my own body and then allowing that body to say these words on a page or if it's not spoken, you know, like move my body however, however I'm meant to or however I want to. And I think I don't know. I think like the commonality between me and whatever role it might be is a lot bigger than the nuanced differences. Um, So starting from just energy embodying me and going outward to connect to whatever comes toward me. So I think like connecting to the scene partner um, from there creates a new organism in and of itself that can then be informed by those little nuanced differences that I'm able to learn about. But just starting from being a human being is really big. When I approach a role, my first thing I really love to do is uh, make a Spotify playlist. I like to make some music that I think based off of like a first read, maybe the first week of rehearsal, whatever, what would that character be inspired by? And uh, how would that affect them if they, I don't know, were listening to their playlist in the middle of their, like in between scenes where they're on stage, like that kind of, that kind of thought process. Um, I'm also a very visual learner. So I like to take time to kind of uh, imagine kind of uh, with my brain, like what, what would that character do in their regular day life and kind of just kind of fairy tale, make up a story in my brain. It's really awesome. Song, visual, making up things in my brain um, and kind of making a very, uh, what's the word? Making a strong effort to not think too hard, just like CN said. That was a big detriment as I was learning uh my craft and as I was developing the things that I felt comfortable doing uh, to put a character forward into the world. Um, and I really try to just kind of keep it vibes based only. If I, if I think about a character up here, <laughs> and go from there. I like to learn my lines as quickly as I can. So I feel like that frees me up a lot to play more with the character. I try to get into a physical embodiment of what I think the character might move like or talk like. Um, And like CN said, I think that connection with the other actors is also very important. And I if it's not real obvious as to why the character is doing the things that they're doing, I like to figure out, again, their psyche, because I'm 
again, a person that likes to investigate a lot of things. So um, why they're doing what they're doing. So I try to come to some understanding of what is moving the character around. For me, it comes down to the text. Like I time said, like lear- learning your lines early if possible, and then just trying to find whatever it is about the specific lines that you get to say that feels special, that feels fun, that feels playful. and leaning into whatever is specific about that character that is an opportunity to explore for me uh kind of like cn said i try not to do dig into it too much um before before the first table read or read through because with with theater it's one of those things of where you can read something, but then once you read it out loud, it takes a completely different tone. It, it just brings it to life. And there, there can be so many things that you didn't see before, just as a, just with a raw read through or just reading it through on your own. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, Oh, Oh, okay. Wow. All right. And then um, another part, because the other thing before I dig into characters too much is to be able another thing with the table read is to hear how the other characters perceive my character because to me that's a really really big part of the 360 view uh, 3d view that brings that character to life is is um not only seeing hearing the lines of the other characters of how they relate to my character is see how the person who's reading the other characters interprets those lines and how as they're starting to read them see okay this person the drew is reading i'm relating to them in this way and so and so for me that creates the baseline and then and then i can kind of like fill in some of the gaps use my empathy just like hannah said find the find the ties that bind between me and this character and then um and then the process really really just the process of rehearsal and working with other actors and trying different things um also just trusting the text of what the playwright wrote and i think that's really you know for me where because i the times that i've really really tried to fill in the gaps too much or even like use like a character breakdown sheet like of their background their history all this kind of stuff um for me after getting into the process of rehearsal most of the times that i really try to do that i i nearly every single time massively revise that because i found new things just from reading and from relating to the other characters or um some subtext that i didn't catch as far as like the last play that i did subtext was everything we really the the playwright did not give you much like written physical history of these characters so you really had to really fill in the gaps. And that was a beautiful thing because you're kind of leaving it up to the audience to kind of fill in the gaps as well, too. But us as the actors, we had to do the same. And so, and there's tons of aha moments all throughout the, the rehearsal process and be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Now, so that's why he said, okay, now, okay. I get that now. Okay. Okay. Now, and then pieces of the history come to come to light, or at least you fill, you make that history once you go on and then and then the process for me that's when it really starts to come into life and that's what really helps the character sink even deeper to me and just the the back and forth between the other actors that's all really great i mean i, I was listening to all of you and thinking about uh doing the squirrel plays and how the similarities that 
I use to some of the uh, ways that you all work too. I I try not to like uh, make too many judgments. So I'm kind of excited about this, this new piece here. I want to know um, without giving too much away about what you've learned from the different characters that you're playing in the two plays that are you're reading, and what do you have in common with them? I think for again, I I don't have the scripts in front of me. Uh, the House of Hadadza, Drew's play. The other one is a little bit more, a little bit, it's going to be a little bit more challenging to glob onto these characters because these are, these are political, these are militant characters that I think a lot of us as artists are going to be struggling to find the ties that bind to these people. Um, especially my character is pretty cold blooded. So, so that, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. Whereas is my character in the house of Hadatsa, I play, I'm not the older um member of my family i'm i'm the middle child but in a, in many ways in my role within the family i felt like the the eldest um because i've taken on a lot of responsibilities and kind of picked picked up the slack when my parents split and things like that and so i feel and it it took many years to try to like lighten my burden um from that of feeling like i had to take on everything and and that if everything fall apart, fell apart, it was all on me. And that I kind of had to, in the same ways, I think that my character feels as the older brother, that he has to kind of fill the shoes of his dad, that he kind of has to be, and he refers to himself as like the head of the household and the person who's holding everything and everything falls apart. And the siblings throughout the play are like, you know, you know, we're part of this too, and everything falls apart. We're we're here, and it's on us as well. But when you're in that role, sometimes it's really, really hard to hear that because you feel so much pressure and strain, especially when you have a parent that's dealing with mental health issues and things like that. So, and you know, being my age and having my parents get get up there, a lot of commonality with that of of you know having together the family around our elders and try to figure things out and try to prepare. And it's never, ever, ever easy. It's, it's an extreme, always an extremely stressful. And the other part is, is realizing even though, even though like you, you had to take this mature role of feeling like you have to take on all this stuff and do all this stuff. But then when, when your parents can't do that anymore, there's that sense of like, Oh, I'm really not a kid anymore. <laughs> like, really, like, you know, there's that last little bit of sense of like, like, oh, I'm still, you know, I'm still young. I'm still a kid. I can still do this and that. And, and, you know, adulting is always weird and, you know, and alienating, especially for a lot of us artists. But when you get to that point of where you really got it, like things are really, really, really real. <laughs> and you're like, okay, damn it. I'm an adult. I have to adult. I have to be like, that definition that I grew up with of an adult that's not fun. Um, but then, but then I can redefine that, you know, and that's the challenge, but you know, it's that kick in the pants of being like, Oh, things are really, really real now. And I got to do the big, big grown up stuff. So. Yeah. As far as the, the care contagion on excellence play as myself, right. You don't, you don't want to look at these people as playing a game because the stakes are so high and obviously there are lives at stake. However, I, I play a lot of board games. I like 
my friends and I just whenever we get we get together we play games and there is something very specifically about many of the characters in that boardroom that is how do I win like what are the pieces like what are the rules how do I play this in a way that I come out you know on top and there have definitely been times in my life where I lost sight of hey this is a game and we're having fun and we chose to be here because we all like each other in pursuit of like how do I win and I think there's a lot of that going on in that boardroom in a way that again while we might not like it so much as people who want to be looking out for the masses um, there is a little bit of that going on that I can sort of relate to for the house of Hadassah um, I am an oldest sister I am an oldest daughter in reading for Miriam, I can definitely relate to the like, well, be a good example for your siblings. And like, we're leaving you in charge. And a, very much a sense of like, okay, you gotta, you gotta know what's going on here. And you gotta be the person that holds it all together. Um, and it, in a, in a particularly like, you know, here we go, but like in a, in a caring sense, in a, like, you have to keep everyone uh, on the rails. Um, and do that in whatever way just makes it so everyone's okay. And yeah, that that is definitely a sense that I get from from those sibling dynamics. My character as the deputy director in um, I'm spacing on the name Care of Fantasia on Excellence. My character feels like the leader of this game that isn't that fun but also feels very passionate to me. Like the words that they're saying are very like, yes, I'm a leader of this and I support my boss. But I also am like, hmm, do you, do you really? Uh, I question my character's intentions a lot and they're not in the play as much as the the other, at least textually uh, as the other characters. And I'm like, hmm, what are you, what are you scheming in between? What are you thinking? My other character in House of Hadassah has a really big heart. And I think sometimes with having a big heart and having that mentality of like, I will literally do anything it takes, uh, even if there's disagreement, even if there is uh, friction in a circumstance, I will do anything, anything it takes to protect the people that I love and the people that are close to me. And I definitely can connect with my my character in House of Hadassah, I think a little bit more than my character in the other show that we're, we're reading. Because I, I'm not like a cutthroat like person like the deputy director is. I uh, have a big heart. I like to think with my heart more than like my, my brain sometimes, but it puts me in circumstances where I'm maybe too trusting or I'm too flexible or I keep giving, 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 and I don't remember what's actually affecting me in the moment. Sometimes uh, that's not the best thing. Yeah. I feel like I got a special perspective on um, care of Fantasia because my character, um, the project manager, is really new to the conversation that they're having in the play, which comes see it to find out what that is. Um, but they are uh, very skeptical of a lot of the things that the other people take for granted and that the other people have as assumptions. My character is coming in and being like, why is it this way? Why are you saying this? I don't agree with you. And I refuse to just like give in to your system unless I actually agree with it. 
which I very much relate to. I'm definitely someone who's always been like going against the grain and not settling for things that I don't think make sense. I'm just like, no way, I'm not doing it then. And I think my character in that play offers that perspective that I think kind of exists as an in for the audience too. Like uh, if you're not someone that is commonly having like high level lack of care for humanity conversations um, that are kind of like by the numbers conversations. I think my character kind of offers some of the questions that you might be asking as an audience member. My character does ask as a person in the room, which is really, I found very helpful for the storytelling in that play for that character to exist. Um, which is good. It's good that I, I can relate to someone who I then think is helpful gives me a little bit of meaning in life. That's great. But um, my other character, um, Judith, I mean, like, like everyone else was saying this, it's a family that's coming up against a really, really hard decision, um, really, really difficult circumstance with somebody's health. And I think um, my character, at least the way that I've read my character kind of feels a similar amount as the project manager to this like skepticism about why are we just going to take the easy route here um and it's kind of kind of like quick to call people on their bullshit i hope i can say that on this podcast um great (laughs) um and yeah i relate to that a lot too i think um at the same time though judith is ready to play a game at any point in time and like ready to ready to push people's buttons maybe a little bit more than I do in my real life um and it's kind of inspiring (laughs) um and I think yeah both of my characters bring an amount of levity that's exciting to me in these plays in House of Adasa I play a mother of these grown children and I'm having a mental issue and for me, kind of the way that I'm sort of questioning it and relating to it is recently with my mother. My mother passed away in 2021 and I was her, her primary caregiver. And my mother's always been like a very, she has a lot of integrity. You know, she holds, she holds herself very high and to, to watch how she navigated going through this transition where she was a very independent person to someone who became dependent and just how she, she continued to, to maintain that sense of, of integrity. And I think that was important to her to still carry her grace with her. And I feel like with this character in house of Hadassah that I play, one of the things that I have in common with her is that she loves poetry and she seems to to get a lot of sustenance from art so she's also kind of a person that i feel like you know has held themselves to to a high standard and I, i'm i'm thinking that it's 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 probably very difficult for her to to try to navigate how she is going to maintain that sense of who she is in the in the face of you know, becoming very vulnerable and dependent. In the other play, I play a senator and I'm still trying to figure out how uh, how I'm going to <laughs> hook into this character. They are 
you know, have to, they're, they're making a decision that's going to affect a lot of people. And that decision seems arbitrary in a lot of ways. <laughs> so I, one thing I realized, I don't want to be a senator and I don't want <laughs> to ever be put in that kind of position, but um, I'm hoping to, to work further into the, into the character as we go on. Nice. Thank you all for that. I am so excited to watch you all get into your characters and uh, see the final performances. And hopefully I can make it to a rehearsal or two or something, too, just to watch the the evolution and keep these in mind as I like, see you all navigating your roles. I'm really excited about it. And I'm sure our listeners are also super excited about it. Last thing we want to know from you all, where can our listeners find you and learn more about your next projects? And feel free to shout out those next projects, whatever you're working on um, the rest of this year and into next year as well. Um, I'll go. I got quite a few things. (laughs) I'll try to run through quickly. Um, I'm currently uh, teaching voiceover uh, both in a live uh, Zoom workshop as well as uh, pre-recorded online digital course as well. And you can find out more about that at my website, drewhobson.com, D-R-E-W-H-O-B is in boy, S-O-N.com. Um, and I also just announced very, one of my bigger dreams came true in, uh, in spring. And I got to do a voiceover for Marvel and um, based, thank you. Um, it's in an exercise app that's through the, uh, zombies run app of where basically it's kind of like a, oh, <laughs> it's basically like a narrative app that you use and listen to, uh, while you exercise or, and, uh, it kind of motivates you through, uh, basically audiobook storytelling and zombies run is the one that they use zombie stories. And then uh, it turns out that the. President of Marvel has been a big fan of the of that app for years and years, and they did a Marvel version of it. And I got to be an X Men character, and I got to be uh, the X Men character Forge, uh, who I was really one of the only Native American uh, X Men. I mean, Marvel care superheroes in the Marvel universe. So that was incredibly huge. The the app just launched a couple weeks ago, and it's through Apple Store and um, uh, Android Play. And it's through the Zombies Run app, and then you just buy the extension for uh, Marvel Move. Um, so that's 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 my big one right now. And I'm going to be uh, in the next week. I'm going to be recording an audio play um, for. Uh, I can't give too many details, but it's going to be on NPR. Um, so I'm very excited about that too, with some some of my heroes. So hopefully everything's going to go smoothly <laughs> with that. But. But uh, by the time that we get into rehearsal and, and the show, I'll be able to hopefully be able to share and give more details about that. So um, I'm also going to be part of a, a local con, uh, Comic-Con video con. It's called King Con. It's over in Renton, and that's going to be happening the weekend uh, before uh, Halloween. And I'm going to be doing a voiceover panel for that as well as going to be uh, DJing for the after party. And also, I have another upcoming workshop that um, I'm going to be launching. I do a public speaking one, but I'm developing one for um, confidence building and sustaining for aspiring actors and artists, because there's not a lot. I almost never see any resources or any 
anybody talking about how to sustain as an actor and as an artist about like having to, because our being an artist and being in this industry can be very brutal and can be very ego bruising and can be quite, quite arduous to try to get through. And I don't really ever see any kind of other than grants and things like that. But as far as like, uh, self-care things, uh, things that we can do mentally and physically to support ourselves throughout the process of it being an artist, I almost never, ever see. So um, I'll be hopefully uh, launching that a little bit later in the fall. And uh, and on Instagram as well, too, I'm drew.hobson.1. I have one major project that I'm excited about coming up in 2024. Uh, my play called The Ever-Expanding Moment is going to get a production and uh, it's going to be, I don't want to give too much away about it, <laughs> but it's going to be really cool. It's going to, it's going to be multimedia. And um, I just, just this, just today had a meeting at a space in Belltown that uh, we're, we're probably going to convert and for, for that play and um, so you can hear more about it through more, my website, which is tinauras, T-E-N-A-U-R-A-S.com. Nice. I don't think I have any projects that I can talk about right now, but um, my Instagram is at the Hannah Saito with dots instead of spaces. Um, my name is spelled H-A-N-N-A-H-S-A-I-T-O. Um, and I will be posting about stuff that I can talk about when I can talk about it on there. So come say hi. Uh, I recently started playing a mascot character called Muncher the Whale. Uh, Muncher is can be spotted at Pike Place Market uh, in front of Pike Place Chowder or at the Pike Place Chowder uh, at Pacific Place. Uh, so look out for an orca whale. Uh, the program is in partnership with the Salish Center for Sustainable Fishing Methods. Uh, their goal is to get folks to adopt uh, orcas. Uh, Muncher is a local resident whale to our lovely Pacific Northwest region. It's only $20 a month to donate an orca whale, friends. Um, pretty nice. Um, uh, when I'm not doing that, I run all the things, audience services in front of house at Seattle Reps. So if you need some access to theater, let me know. I can put my email in the chat. want to make sure everyone can experience theater magic. I am having a blast getting excited for all of you. Um, I'm a graduate student right now, so I do a ton of projects. Um, Normally, except for school projects, you don't want to see those. Um, <laughs> I am working on a short film, um, hopefully coming out next like autumn or something. Um, we kind of we need a lot of blackberries for it, so we're filming it next summer. <laughs> um, so ship me your blackberries. Um, yeah, and you could follow me, I suppose, on Instagram. I'm cn dot mendez very fancy fancy instagram name there um and other than that um follow wash masks on instagram i think it's just at wash masks the word wash and then the word masks um they do um food pantry donation raising for farm workers in eastern washington so we're doing a bunch of um gatherings of food items coming up in this december and hopefully getting 
holiday food brought over to people. They can have delicious dinners. Nice. Thank you all. I'll definitely have to dig into your links. Somewhat uh, interested in adopting an orca. I think that sounds so cool. Uh, but right now, I'm also giving about the same amount to Planned Parenthood because they're shutting them down in the South. So I'm like doing whatever we can. So I I, I love whales, though. So that is enticing. But that concludes our interview. Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, I'm I'm sure our listeners are very excited for Expand Upon. We're super excited for Expand Upon. Um, and yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy rehearsals and uh, break a leg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. I just paid for an online, um, I took my voiceover class through, um, uh it's it it was used to be down in the um industrial district off of uh airport way but then covid they closed so i just paid for an online um self-guided course for more voiceover so it was interesting to hear i was like oh drew would be fun to take class with but. yeah it would be i was like man he has the voice too like you hear oh my, it. His, I'm like, his voice is i would great. love to take his voiceover class i know yeah. i know and then yeah. he did like I am um I live for Marvel. So when he said that he like worked was with Marvel, Ford. I was like, I was oh. like, oh my god! Oh. I know when he said Marvel, I was like, paycheck, baby, paycheck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's big. Y'all have to. This might be the last expand upon for. <laughs> oh, definitely. I'm kidding. Matt, and if his little, if his um. His script takes off, you know, if he's making connections to Marvel, his mm. script might take off, you know, because mm. those things are really important. It's just that the writer's strike, it's going to take a while to get that whole uh, industry up and running. And then, you know, with all the UAW strikers, that's the big one. Mm -hmm. That's really going to kick some ass, mm -hmm. you know, to have all the car makers on strike at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's a big one because they haven't. You know, that's a big part of our economy. They're a really strong union. They have a lot of money in their strike fund. So they may able be able to hold out. Um, and I just think we're in a inflection point with this where COVID has shown people that they were tired of being indentured servants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> CEOs, you know, most definitely. And then with yeah. the, the writers like this was. This was already happening, I feel like, leading up because royalties for writers have been, you know, historically terrible. Writers and actors, royalties right. streaming is right. terrible, probably worse for the writers. And yeah. yeah, the actors are getting pennies per stream. You know, it's it, it, the same thing with music. You know, one stream is a tenth of a cent on Spotify. 
I know, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. And now they're trying to, you know, use artificial intelligence to replace a lot of the writers and musicians and actors and everything. So, of course, they're going to revolt. You know, the people at the top who aren't doing any creative work are are making making all the money. 150% of the profit, you know. So, it's They were saying that the CEOs at the um, car manufacturers are making like 390% more than the workers. Wow. Yeah. Had you heard about the, um, because I, you know, I was not here when this happened, but had you heard about Summer Taylor and that incident? Did you know where you from? Yeah, I I remember reading about it, but it it wasn't like right on top of my head. But as soon as they talked about it again, I remembered that. Yeah, and she was... I think she was one of the protests when they were walking and they shut down the freeway. And, and they so, just kept going like when they were, um, okay. Yeah. There was a whole march that happened where they shut down part of the freeway and somebody hit her. Mm, that's terrible. I did hear about that happening a lot. And that happened in, in Atlanta too. Like people would shut down the freeway. I don't think anybody, I don't know if anybody ever got hurt doing those, but that's a terrible situation to um well, the to have to live with, through, you know. With Cop City is very, very distressful to me. The mm-hmm. whole Cop City thing that's going on. Oh yeah. And that they're going to the people who are protesting that are going to be brought up on terrorism charges, which means they'll get maximum, maximum uh, you know, jail time. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Whereas all these no people who are you know storming the Capitol, they want to split hairs Six about months, giving them terrorism One choices. year, you're like, no, that's literal terrorism. Like you defaced that's literal. a capital, a Capitol building, like right. But sitting in a tree, so they can't you know tear it down and build this you know militarized training ground for cops in Atlanta. Mm-mm. I mean, oh my God, you know. But no, we're not going to call terrorism charges on Trump or any of the rest of them, but these people in Atlanta are trying to prevent this militarized training system from happening. Okay, they're going to get maximum terror. You know, it just makes me nuts. And then the whole thing in Texas with that guy getting off, although he was completely dirty, uh, the, the uh, attorney general, I mean, ugh, that's why seeing those leaves this morning on the 150-year-old tree was was hopeful because the news is so despair. It, yeah. it makes me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I actually have recently, um, I used to be on Twitter every single day. That's like how I got my news. And it was just so triggering for me. Like, because they, I feel like Twitter is like the front page of the internet. And anytime anything happens, you know, Twitter has it first. And it was just like, you know, like another Black person shot by the police or like, um, like the stuff with Top City was on my um on my timeline a lot. I actually am not very well informed about the state of it right now because I haven't been on Twitter in about two months now. Um, just because a lot of it was just so triggering to me and taking up a lot of um uh my mental bandwidth and uh just did not feel good. That and then mixed in with like all the random smut that's just on Twitter that I didn't ask to see. It's just like, I've never even been on Twitter, but I get, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a news junkie. So I'm always on, I'm always jumping around between CNN, MSNBC, and then first nations news on three thirty four, which I really love first nations news because 
then I'm getting uh, news from a, a different perspective. And it's about all uh, the indigenous, and they they cover not just Native Americans, but Ho they do Hawaiians, they do uh, Maori, they do all the, they do Peruvian in indigenous, they do everybody. So they do, you get news reports from all these indigenous groups, which is really good to hear. I mean, they've been talking about the, the Amazon tribes that are trying to keep, uh, you know, the, the cattle companies and the lumber companies from killing off the lungs of the world, you know, the Amazon rainforest and how all the indigenous people are really trying to hold that and not let it completely get destroyed. So those are tidbits of news that you don't get from the rest of the world usually. So yeah. yeah. I just finished watching Reservation Dogs, the last of it. I'm so upset that they're not gonna do it again. Because that one, in my head, that was the only Native American story that I can think of that's like on, because um, that is a Native American story, right? So I, and I'm like, that one got canceled. But yeah, I was trying to think like, is there another Native American focused series? And I don't think there is, you know. Well, so, there was like, one and it got canceled too. It was, um, oh God, what was it called? Oh, that was pretty good. Um, but I can't think of the name of it now. It's like a comedy. Is um, it Rutherford Falls? Rutherford Falls. Okay. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it had like two seasons or something. And there's pretty good because there's a, a woman, a black woman who's the mayor. And then so there's all this stuff going on about the different races and the power dynamics of the Native Americans who run the casino and how people are jealous of them. I mean, and about uh, Native American land rights and how you have to go through all this, all these tapes all these hoops to get a piece of land and i mean it was it was pretty good i mean mm -hmm. it was really pretty good it, um, sound, it sounds interesting canceled. yeah and that one got canceled too so yeah. i'm like oh geez and i was somebody on verse nations news was talking about that said yeah it's like the whole idea of you know native stores that sort of run their course in, in hollywood we're going to see if you know if they you know that was just a quick little bandwagon if we're going to be able to keep going you know so yeah yeah that's interesting but i love yeah. when drew is uh when he said the intersectionality is like the next thing i i think it is i see it because even like colin kaepernick he had a show about his right. his right. uh growing up and like how his parents were like uh his, his like wanted him white. to cut his hair and stuff like yeah. that and i'm like whoa like the stories like there's not anything else i've ever seen that is like that and i always think like because I was in an interracial relationship that had like very dangerous moments where my life was I know actually you in told danger. Me. I'm yeah, like, oh and I'm like, there. I haven't seen anything like that on on TV yet. And it was like, yeah. if I just did it how it was in real life and didn't add anything to it, it would People be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, right. it seemed yeah. like fiction, you know. So I'm like, we can really push the envelope with some of those stories, and I don't think we have yet and it's it's very interesting <laughs> you know sometimes some of the things that i lived through you know that last year of high school when i when i started smoking pot and doing stuff like that it's like okay i'm still here but man you know and the thing sometimes i think oh my god i'm so glad there was no social media when I was yeah <laughs> i mean i part of me wishes there was so people could record <laughs> some of the stuff because I feel like now you'll tell people like, 
Like black people got hung in the middle of the day in the 1950s and they'll be like, what? No, like what? But it's real life really happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I just think my lucky stars, my angels were like, you ain't going to die today. Mm -hmm. But when I think about some of the things I did, I was like, that was really dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why did you do that? But yeah, I mean, growing up in Georgia in that time period, because it was just just the end of total de facto segregation, you know. So, mm-hmm. and it was just the beginning of you know consolidated schools. Who you know, and uh, there was all that white flight to create all those like private schools. Yeah. They didn't want to go to school with us, you know. So mm-hmm. it was crazy. Yeah. But, you know, and that's what's so absurd about people taking away voting rights. We all had them for 50 years. You know, yeah. I've had them for the whole time. It's like, God, I didn't think I'd be going into my old ladyhood dealing with the same stuff my grandmother and mom had to deal with. Shoot. Mm-hmm. It's, you know? it's insane. Yeah. And then listening to women tell stories of dying because they can't get, you know, treatment or having to try to terminate on their own. And I mean, it's like, that's the kind of stories I heard as a little girl, you know, from all, you know, people say, oh, so-and-so got, you know, she got, she had to do something and and it didn't work out and she got really infected or she died. I mean, you hear these, hear the older ladies saying these things and you're a little girl and you're like, and so now we're going back to that. Mm -hmm. That's scary. But hopefully, you know, with Expand Upon, people can uh, get a... (laughs) See see this play and get a better understanding of how they can navigate a ever shifting world of healthcare and how they can be more empathetic to to groups that they might not normally be as empathetic towards, um, or situations that they might not be as empathetic towards. So, listeners, for our call to action, you can learn more about our interviewees by visiting the personal links they just shouted out that we'll also be listing on the show notes, including a link to Adopt an Orca at the Salish Center, and to follow Washmas on Instagram to support the work they're doing in the community. And last but not least, you can go get your tickets to Expand Upon Healthcare. Tickets are available now at our website, mirrorstage.org slash tickets. Thank you all so much for listening. We're looking forward to chatting more with you later this month. Until then, share this episode with your friends and let's keep this conversation about healthcare going. Take care and sweet dreams, Seattle. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Washington State Arts Commission and the National Endowment of the Arts. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coast Salish tribes. If you like what you've heard and would like to support this podcast or other Mirror Stage programming, you can donate at our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206 888-6477. Thank you everyone for listening. This podcast is available on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So if you are finding us on any of those platforms, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if possible.